Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Karen Smith. Now, before we jump into this week's show, give you a hopefully non-boring recap of the week that was. I'm going to blow through this because I feel like every week is the same week over and over. It's like that movie Groundhog's Day, if you ever saw that, where it's like the same day over and over and over. And it's, it's almost hard considering like all the days kind of blend together other than maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, because those are the days my kids have e-learning. But man, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, at least here in Indiana. It looks like on May 1st, we're going to get to reopen. Now, obviously, there's going to be social distancing measures involved, and we're going to be cautious about how we reopen, so we do it the smart way. But man, that is kind of a weight off my chest, knowing that here, hopefully sooner than later, we're going to get to open the doors back up, get back to business, and hopefully get back to doing what we do best, which is coaching and training our clients and athletes. People have asked, you know, what have you been up to? You know, obviously the content thing, and I'll talk more about that later, but man, I've been getting on the grill as often as I can. The weather's been beautiful here in Indiana the last couple of days, a little bit breezy, but working on my jump shot just because uh, I need something to, to work on and it helps me feel like I'm getting a little bit of extra physical activity. You know, I haven't been, I mean, I can still go into the gym, but, you know, when it's nice out, I'd much rather be outside and be inactive. So I've been getting a lot of steps and a lot of cardio in that way. And then just spending time with this dog, man. He's really turned the corner. I feel like in the last week, he settled down a little bit. He's not biting as much. So he is quickly turning into quite the charmer. So that is what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about content. Man, the content train, my friends, it's rolling. Like, we're getting pretty much a video out every day right now. And when I say we, I mean I. <laughs> Bill's putting out even more if you follow him on the gram or YouTube. But yeah, it's been my goal, obviously, to put out one video every day or one piece of content every day. So I've been sticking to that religiously. I'm into the 30s of days right now. I'd have to go look. I got my calendar downstairs. But feeling good about that. Beyond just like the shorter form content, got some really good long form content coming up. So depending on when you listen to this, hopefully uh, you're going to hear this in time. But on the 29th of April, I've got the Seattle Sounders Sports Science uh, Seminar, and I'm going to be talking about what it means to win or what it means to win in my position if I'm working with a team or if I'm working with an athlete. So excited to give my thoughts there. And then on the 30th, so on that Thursday, we're going to be doing a roundtable for play basketball. So pretty honored there to speak for either of those and to think that I get to speak you know, on one day and I get to talk about soccer and the next day I get to talk about basketball. It makes me feel pretty good and uh, makes me feel like I've had a little bit of success in both those arenas. So excited to do that. One thing I did want to ask you about podcasts is, you know, obviously we're in the 220s as far as episodes go, which is still mind blowing to think about. But, you know, we're we're getting up there and I feel like I've interviewed a lot of people, but I also know the longer I do this, the more I realize how many like really, really smart trainers and coaches that are out there and people that I haven't been exposed to yet. So if you listen to the show and there's somebody that you follow or somebody that you have a great deal of respect for, uh, let me know. Shoot me an email, mike at robertsontrainingsystems.com or shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'd just love to hear from you. I'd love to hear who you're 
you know, into, who you enjoy talking to, and they don't have to be a big name necessarily. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that I enjoy about this is giving a platform to some people that maybe aren't as well known, but that are really deep in the trenches and they're just killing the game, doing whatever it is that they do. So definitely, if you have people that you would like to hear on the show, I can't promise I can get everybody, but if there's somebody that you're really interested or really passionate about hearing, I would love to hear from you. And before we jump into this show with Karen, I'm going to give you a deep thought for the week. And it's been a couple weeks since I've done this, maybe a couple months, I don't know. (laughs) But I want to give you a thought and the story I think will help with the thought. So too often, we think of failure as a negative thing. And the story goes like this. So Kendall has been obsessed with cooking the last couple weeks, and we've made all kinds of stuff, right? We made uh, Swedish meatballs. We made turkey burgers last week. She was obsessed with eggs one week. She wanted to learn all the ways, and all the ways meaning three, that I know how to cook eggs. So we made them scrambled one morning. We made them fried the morning after that. And the next day we made eggs in the microwave. She was so pumped up, like for like two days afterwards, she's like, oh, I want to make you microwave eggs for breakfast. So I said, great, let's do it. So I'm kind of sitting there and I'm playing with the dog, drinking my coffee, and she's making eggs for me this morning. And she's like, okay, what do I need to add? So I'm kind of running her through it, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not watching her. I'm not supervising. And I tell her, okay, so we've got three eggs. Generally, if we do two eggs, it's a minute and a half. So I said, it's three. So let's go like 2.15. And it gets to about the two minute mark and it's just like, it sounds like guns are going off in our kitchen and we'll look in the microwave and one of the yolks had just exploded everywhere. So, you know, she's super apologetic and I'm like, Hey, don't worry about it. Uh, And it was a twofold issue, right? Number one, she hadn't whisked the eggs. So the eggs were just kind of sitting in there. They'd been seasoned and all that, but they kind of almost cooked like they were fried. But the other part was I told her the wrong time. So she was super apologetic. And I just said, Kendall, like, don't worry about that at all. Like, this is a great learning experience. Like nobody got hurt. Nobody's injured. You know, the eggs still taste great. We just learned that, hey, we got to make sure that we whisk the eggs and we got to cook them a little bit less time. And I think that's just such a healthy way to look at learning. And it's easy to do that with our children or maybe uh, the people underneath us. But sometimes we're not nearly as kind to ourselves. And if we make a mistake, it's like, oh, you know, the self-talk starts up and I'm a dummy or how could I make that mistake versus, okay, I made a mistake and I'm going to learn from it. And now I know, like, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Like the next time Kindle makes eggs, she's not going to overcook them and she's not going to forget to whisk them. And I think that's the most important thing when it comes to failure or when it comes to making mistakes, like be okay with it, right? None of us want to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, if you do make one, hey, that's okay. Show yourself a little grace, kind of put it in the mental notebook and then be okay with, hey, next time I'm not going to make that same mistake again. So anyway, that is my deep thought for the week. Make sure, reframe your failures. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail as long as you're learning from it and you're growing from it as a result. All right, my friend, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to talk to you about something I'm super excited about here. So we're going to take this quick break. And then we're going to come back and we are going to talk with the awesome and amazing Karen Smith. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. 
But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Karen Smith has been a strength coach and personal trainer for over 20 years. She is currently a master instructor with Strong First and the fourth woman to claim the Iron Maiden title. She has been personal training students of all fitness levels from beginners to elite U.S. military forces since 2000. Karen specializes in kettlebell and bodyweight strength training. In this show, Karen and I touch on a ton of strength-related topics. We obviously put a premium on kettlebells, starting with why they're beneficial and then discussing the biggest issues she sees when people train with them. From there, we talk about bodyweight training and how you can really crank up the intensity which is obviously a super powerful tool considering we're all in lockdown right now. Regardless, Karen is an absolute wealth of information and I think you're really gonna love this episode. But enough for me, let's do this. All right, Karen, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me. A little bit about myself, let's see. I've pretty much been into anything athletic um, since I was a kid. And that's kind of what brought me to where I'm at now. But I am a um, single mom. I'm a coach. I've been doing this for um, a little over 20 years now, which uh, I hate to admit, but (laughs) that's kind of where it's at. Yeah. Uh, And like everyone else, I'm stuck at home right now. And um, just, you know, trying to take care of as many clients and students as I can right now, just to kind of keep everybody moving and so that, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's a short version of me. <laughs> I, I think that's where we're all kind of at right now, right? Just trying to uh, maintain and get through the next couple of weeks, right? Absolutely. Very cool. Very cool. And what originally got you into the world of like physical preparation and working out? Like what was, what was your like igniting event, if you will? Well, like I mentioned, I've pretty much been into athletics since I was a kid. I was a gymnast and have always been into working out, but it was really when I moved from Texas to California and saw that everybody was outdoors and everybody was active. And I was spending most of my time in the gym anyways. When I wasn't at my job, I was in telecommunications and hated sales, Uh you know, spending a lot of hours there. And outside of that, I was always in the gym. And I just was like, why am I not 
just transitioning into a job in the gym and, and helping other people when that was really my passion all along. Yeah. And um, it just took getting moving out of Texas and being out in California where everybody wanted to be outside and everyone was a little more active. Yeah. And it just kind of sparked from there. And that's that's kind of where it took off. I love it. I love it. So with that being said, could you tell us just about your career path? Because like you said, you've been at this 20 years now. I'm in the same boat. So I don't like to say that because then people start adding up very quickly how old you are. <laughs> but but talk to me about your career path and kind of, you know, where you got started and, and a little bit about where you're at today. Sure. You know, I've kind of been in like you in probably every facet of the strength world, fitness and training. And so I started as um, an intern. So when I left telecommunications and decided that I really wanted to pursue fitness, I did like everyone else, you know, okay, let's get a personal training certification. But I didn't feel like I could just jump in without having the experience, right? Even okay. though I had the yeah. letters behind my name, I wanted the experience. So I did an internship with a private training gym in La Jolla, California. Okay. And it was really great. I mean, it, it kind of gave me the creativity in training because it was a small gym several stories tall and it had 15 trainers that I could follow around. And if you had a plan, it probably wasn't going to go as planned because (laughs) there were so many people moving around from floor to floor. And if you got to a piece of equipment that you had planned for your client, you had to be able to kind of change that on the fly and still be like, okay, what's going to do the same thing or something similar um, and still get the benefit because the equipment that I have is, you know, you're not just going to sit around and wait on that um, because your client's time is, you know, precious. So yeah, That helped me to be um, more creative in my training and programming and designing. So I did the internship and then I did private sessions for a while and then um, I got pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And so that changed everything. So I did that for a couple of years. Sure. And then I took some time off after I had my daughter. I still did the like mommy and me training after I had her. So I still wanted to keep doing my job, but I wanted to be home with her. So I would train people at the parks and and use park equipment and which gave me another variety of you know, how do I want to be creative with what I have? Yeah. So I did that for a while. And at the time I was married to someone in the military living in California and they decided that it was time for us to relocate. So it was like, okay, first chance of like starting over with the train. So moved us out to DC. And when I got out there, I mean, it was like completely different world from San Diego and being outside and sunny to being indoors and it was snowing and something I'd never experienced before. So I kind of transitioned back to a gym and met someone who was doing kettlebells. And I would say that was probably the biggest change in my career path is getting to understand kettlebells, the trainer that I was going to at that time I was miserable in the snow. So I just wanted (laughs) someone to tell me what to do for a while. Right. And he convinced me to go to kettlebell certification with him. So that was kind of where it really kicked off the change for my training and, and became more focused yep. and more strength-based, which is, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later, but it's, sure. it's kind of where I'm at now. But so I went to that certification and it really just changed everything about the way that I train and the way that I really thought about training. Yep. And then I transitioned in to another move. Military was like, okay, you're done with DC. Let's take yeah. you down to Virginia. And I decided at that point that I was going to start training from home and it grew fairly quickly just with my neighbors yep. and I decided at that point, okay, the garage is getting too small. It's starting to get cold again. So I then transitioned to becoming a gym owner. So I oh, had a wow. okay. about six years and, um, kind of kept doing that until it was time to make the next transition. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, um, got promoted 
within the kettlebell organization at the time it was the RKC. Yep. That promotion just again, really changed everything. I started teaching for them and started doing certifications. So fast forward a couple years, divorce happened, unfortunately. Yeah. It meant another move and another transition. So because I was already teaching the certifications, I just decided to just dive 100% into the online world. So yeah. I do distance coaching, programming, teaching the certifications, traveling. And I hadn't gone back to um, opening a gym because I just felt like with as much travel as I was doing and, and starting over again, I might as well grow my business to where it could, I could live anywhere and yeah. do what I love to do, but keep helping people where I'm at now. <laughs> I, I love that. And, and I love the flexibility that you've created for yourself because yeah, you know, if you're teaching courses and all that, it's really hard to be tied to one spot or one location, especially if you're the face of the business, right? right. And you've got to travel, you know, every week or every other weekend. That's really tough. So with that being said, I would love to start with you talking to me a little bit about your mission, because I just think it's really freaking cool. So would you share with us your mission kind of in life right now? Sure. My mission, I would say, is to be able to help as many people as I can, no matter the price point. Like I feel like everyone should be able to have a coach, have a trainer, and even trainers need trainers, right? Yeah, so for sure. that's, that's a lot of my business now as well. But the goal is, is to teach everyone their true strength potential. I think there's so many, like there's just doubts and people kind of still fear um, strength in a, in a lot of areas. That's my mission is just show people how strong they can be, how um, smart and efficient their training can be. So it doesn't have to be their life. Like you do not have to live in the gym to be as strong and as fit as you want to be. You should be able to enjoy your life and do other things, um, whether you're working at home, in the gym, wherever. But I wanted to, I just want them to know how strong and how efficient their training can be to be that strong. That makes perfect sense. So while we're on the topic, let's talk about strength some. And let's start with really a two-part question. Number one, what is the Iron Maiden Challenge? And number two, how do you go about training for something like that? So if people are unfamiliar, give us a little context first. Sure. So the Iron Maiden, it actually officially started with that. I didn't have a name as, okay. as the Iron Maiden, right? Originally, it was the Beast Tamer Challenge. And that is a challenge within the kettlebell community. So yeah. the RKC and then, of course, now Strong First. It's three different um, skills that you have to be able to perform with a certain weight. Men have to do that with a 48 kilo, which is what we call the beast. And that's why it's called the beast tamer. And then over the years, as women started to want to have this challenge as well and do the challenge, then it became a couple of us got started training for it. And then it became the iron maiden. So for females, it has to be a pull up, a pistol squat and a press with a 24 kilo. Mm. So take some time. And, um, it actually, for me, it took me about three years, but I really needed to, for myself, I wanted to program for myself and I wanted to train it myself. I could have probably gotten there a lot faster if I had gone the route of some other people. But at the time, there weren't really that many females. I was the fourth one. And um, the first one, we still to this day, I'm sure somebody knows who it is, but I I don't know the name. Like I've asked for years, (laughs) like was the first female. But back to what I said, it didn't have a name. And then there were two other people that um, I do know of within our organization that got it right before I did. So it just kind of lit this fire in me to just really see what I could do with my body and my strength and at my age. And as far as training for it, there's so many ways. I'm sure as you know, like there's not just one path for to sure. this amazing strength challenge. So sure. me, it was an approach that kind of fit more of like an easy strength. And I don't know if you're familiar okay. with yeah. 
Pavel and Dan John's um, Easy Strength book. But I didn't realize I was programming Easy Strength. I was just programming and seeing where my body could take me. And it, you know, right. it's like I would program and then I would have some setbacks or I would peak too soon. So I would say the final program, which would have been the smartest, right? So I took some time off once I peaked too soon. Yeah. Then reprogrammed. And so it was very much um, just easy strength. I trained three days a week with the kettlebell. Those were my main lifts. I did some accessory work. And it was more of the, you know, five by three, three by five, two by five, two, you know, yeah. one set of 10. I mean, really waving the load, which is what kind of we're known for in Strong First. Yeah. And just kept getting stronger until yeah. it, it hit. And I had a few of the skills for a while. And so I had to maintain those. And then I really had to push for the pull-up because that was, that was the hardest one for me yeah. to, to be able to achieve. So that's. And, and just think about that. Like if you're listening at home, imagine how hard just, and maybe you're somebody that just crushes pull-ups, but most of us, you know, have to work a little bit to do pull-ups or chin-ups at a high level. Now imagine strapping, uh, in, in your case, a 53-pound kettlebell to yourself and having to do a chin-up with it. That's a big jump, right? Like <laughs> chin-ups are hard enough on their own, let alone when you're doing that much added resistance to it. So was that always like the most difficult one for you, the chin-up? Yeah, it definitely was. Because when I, before getting into the kettlebell world, I didn't even have one pull-up. Oh, wow. I had, I actually got my first pull-up by accident. I was, <laughs> someone's like, there's no way you like, you can do all these things. You have to be able to do a pull-up. And I'm like, no, watch, I can't. And I did. And then I got addicted to them. So I was living on the pull-up bar. I mean, that, that three years was up and down and up and down. And how do you learn how to master, not just a pull-up, but build the strength and then do it the way that we do. We have strict standards on the tactical pull-up, which is a thumbless grip. Yeah. And um, we want to be in the hollow position or mostly the hollow position. And so understanding how to to build the strength, to use that technique, not do any kipping, not do. And I mean, it, it is strict. Yeah. And then add that weight when you have no pull up. And now you're going to add that 50. Yeah. So it, it was a process that taught me a lot about programming, though. So that was the best takeaway is how do I get other people to that even to a degree of that, you know, that necessarily is not going to be everyone's goal to get to a weighted pull-up, but just to get a lot of women in general, their first pull-up, because yeah. I, I, there's just such a mental block on that. Like we are just, you know, we've been told for so long, we're not strong or we, yes. can't, do, so we can't do push-ups. And so that kind of, I guess, really drove my mission is once I was able to achieve that, it gave me this platform to show people that you can be small and you can still achieve these things that most people think that we can't do. Yeah, no, I love that. Another thing that I love talking about just in general is kettlebells. They're one of my favorite tools for, you know, both my own workouts and for helping the clients and athletes that I work with. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit and start with, could you just give us some of the biggest myths or maybe misconceptions that you hear when it comes to kettlebell training? Because I'm sure you've heard it all being an instructor. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. So I would say the one that drives me the most crazy is thinking that it is just another tool that it, sh it can, I mean, it is another tool, but to look at it like a dumbbell, for example, and feel like you're just going to do bicep curls with it, or you're going to do, you know, some tricep, we're going to do those things, but it is, it is different. The way that the handle is and the, the offset of the um, weight really makes it different. And so I, I feel like the biggest myth is that it's just another design of a, what you do with a dumbbell. Right. When really it can be, it can be your ballistics, it can be your grinds, you're going to get your cardio out of it, and you can do it all in one workout. 
and how efficient it is. It burns a lot of calories if it's done properly. So I would say that that would be the biggest. And then the other one is people thinking that they just need to Google, you know, versus, I mean, there, there is a certification for it for a reason. And it's not just so we can have letters behind our name or make money off people. There really is like special techniques and cues that help people stay safe with it. Because the worst part is people thinking that it's, let me use this and pull with my arms and then they throw their back out. And then what's next? The kettlebell gets the bad name, right? Like that kettlebell hurt me versus no, it was actually what you did with the kettlebell and not getting the proper training to use it efficiently. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it reminds me. So we had this kid that came into our gym and he couldn't, I think he was like 15, 16 years old. And his mom came in at the same time and she was like adamant. She's like, look, uh, the last place that he trained at used kettlebells he hurt his back. So you can use anything that you want, but I don't want him to ever touch a kettlebell. And she was like, serious. Like if she would ever see us like holding a kettlebell, she'd be watching to make sure we wouldn't hand it to him. So it was really hard because it is, it's such a valuable tool and there's so many great things that you can do with it. But unfortunately, like you said, sometimes people think, oh, well, so-and-so got hurt using a kettlebell. And it's like, well, you could get hurt using any tool if you don't know how to use it right. Absolutely. But the unfortunate part is people don't think that about per se, like a dumbbell per se, right? Like right, they just think, right. oh, well, this is what you do with a dumbbell. It's been around forever. I mean, so has a kettlebell, but there <laughs> are special techniques that make it more efficient if people learn the proper way. And that's kind of part of my mission is like that efficiency part is let me give you some of your life and your time back and teach you an efficient way to use a tool that can give you great strength as well as great conditioning. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So obviously kettlebells now are such a more popular tool than they were even say 10 years ago, right? Like 10 years ago, you go to a gym and you see barbells, dumbbells, cardio machines, all that stuff, which is cool in one sense. But we also know that a lot of people, like we just alluded to, have no clue what they're doing when they pick up a bell for the first time. So I would love to hear from you. What are some of the most common issues that you see when people are training with bells and how would you go about addressing those with them? Some of the biggest problems I would say can start as early as like how they pick it up or how they hold the bell. So let's say we're not even talking ballistics yet. We're just wanting people to hold a bell in the rack or hold a bell overhead or do a Turkish get up. Right. Mm -hmm. So different schools of thought would be like, well, a Turkish get up. And it used to be like, just get up however you can get up. Right. But now it's gone in different schools of get up, get up fast. There's no concern for technique. When we actually use it in Strong First as an assessment tool, as well as a strength tool, it can be a lift or it can be an exercise. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is how you hold it and how heavy the load is, is going to determine, you know, some of the techniques that you need. So if it's really light or you're using body weight or one thing that we like to do is balance something on our fist to build in the muscle memory of the fact that the the wrist should not bend, yeah. right? But the way that people hold it is they want to bend their wrist or um, bend at the elbow where we want to think about, let's keep the wrist in neutral. Let's keep the elbow locked and keep this weight secure overhead so we can focus on everything else, right? So that's going to build that stability in your shoulder joint. It's also going to keep you safe because it's when the wrist bends that then the elbow bends, right? And it gives you that weak, weak link all the way down the chain and could then potentially injure someone. So I would say... The way that people hold a bell in the rack position, the way they hold it overhead is one of the biggest problems that I see right off the bat. Hmm. Then from there, it just kind of escalates depending on how quickly they want to advance in a weight that their body's just not really ready for. 
especially if they're moving on to ballistics. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that because it reminds me when I went through the RKC, I think this was before I did it. We had Brett Jones come out to our facility and he like gave me like a day run through. And, and so we were working through all this stuff. And he had us do at the time, I think he was calling it the extreme naked Turkish get up with uh, the tennis shoe on the top of the the knuckles. And you think, oh, man, come on, this can't be that hard until you right. actually try and do it. And you own that position all the way up. And you're like, wow, this is a heck of a lot harder than you ever would have imagined. Absolutely. Trying to own that position and control that through that entire period of time. So I got to ask one more question about bells while we're on that topic. Obviously, when people think bells, they think swings, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like your rite of passage. You want to start using a bell, you're going to learn how to swing. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see when people are starting to learn how to swing? And how do you maybe go about coaching or cueing those to help them fix that up? The first problem that I see most often is, um, again, the way they pick it up, right? Are they going to hike it or are they just going to pick it up and hold it and then try to start initiate the swing versus the hike? The other thing is swinging it with their arms when really the first thing that I try to get people to understand is that the swing is a hip drive, right? Your hips are your power source. So I try to get them jumping first, right? Mm, Using their hips if they were going to jump off the ground and then don't come off the ground, but it's still that same hip power. So the thing that I tell them all the time is the hips drive the arms guide. So stop using the arms to get the bell to your chest. If your hips are explosive enough, the bell is going to go to chest light, maybe even a little bit higher, yeah. um, which is a whole nother thing we can talk about with um, the way that people swing and how high and so yes. on. But the key is, is that the hips are your power source. And so one of the cues that I really use here in Texas, and hopefully this doesn't offend anyone, but I mean, it is <laughs> Texas and almost everyone has a gun is I ask people if they're using their arms too much, I ask them what happens when you shoot a gun. If you've ever shot a gun, what happens to the bullet after you pull the trigger? Like, what do you have to do to make it go anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pull the trigger. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. It's oh, going yeah. to do. Okay. So same kind of thing is if your, if your hips are that trigger, the bell should just go to that spot where it's going to float depending on how powerful the hips were. Yeah. Then from there, it's going to start to come back down after the float and then you power back again. So it really is hips drive arms guide. Yeah. And if, if they just don't get it, we have a lot of tools at the certification that I'm sure you're familiar with. But I also, when I'm home and I have a, um, a belt with a chain on it or a, a small rope yep. and I will attach a belt to that, put it at their waist and just kind of take the arms completely out of it and allow them to f- see how the pendulum works. Mm. If they're using their hips, moving the weight on its own and then take the belt off and have them try it again. So it really is, let's keep the lats connected, but let's let the hips be the, the power. And then yeah. we add the into that as well. I love that. I love that. So jumping off, you mentioned, you know, the height of the swing. I feel like that is something that for right or wrong has become like this massive like point of argument. So I would love to hear your thoughts on how high you should be swinging that bell when you're swinging. It it is actually one of my favorite subjects when it comes to kettlebells, because (laughs) like you said, is it right? Is it wrong? I don't feel that it's necessarily wrong to swing the other way, right? We know that there's the Russian swing and then there's the American swing. And then there's the in between those two stages, right? Yes. For the certification, we set a standard. We want people to swing to chest height. Doesn't mean it can't ever go past chest height, 
but we need something to be able to grade people on. Can they use their hips powerful enough to get the bell to chest height? And then it floats kind of in that range. Yeah. Um, it might float from chest to eye, but for the certification, we get it to the chest height. Yeah. And I still to this day have people who will reach out to me on social media and be like, oh my gosh, you went past your chest. Like, why, <laughs> is it, why is it at your eyes? And I was like, well, because... I've been doing this long enough that if I'm using a bell that's a certain weight, I'm going to power from my hips enough and it's going to float past the chest a little bit to that eye. Not wrong, right? It's right. just different. Then there's the American swing and that is all the way overhead. And then a lot of people really cringe on that and be like, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? Right. It's not wrong. It's different. Now, the thing that I feel personally that is wrong about the overhead is, is someone squatting too much? pulling too much with their arms. And once it's overhead, do they lack the mobility to actually be overhead? Right. So that's where I think it can be wrong because if you're putting your hands in this tiny little handle and you lack T-spine and shoulder mobility, and now you've gone overhead and it needs to be by your ears, what's going to happen? The, the elbows are going to bend to make space, right? Yeah. And you're probably going to hyperextend in your low back to kind of stick your, to be able to pull your head through to what yeah. you feel is the lockout. Yeah. So that's when I would say the American swing is wrong. It's not wrong. It's wrong for that person yeah. who doesn't have Good the point. mobility to be able to get the right tension and the right required mobility to do that skill. I love that, makes that, that makes perfect sense. And again, I think that's just such a great point in general is we get so caught up in vilifying certain exercises and saying this is right, that's wrong, whatever, versus just being like, okay, look, hey, man, let's put it all on the table and then we're going to just target this and make it specific to you, right? And we're going to figure out what works for you because you're absolutely right. If somebody has god-awful mobility through their upper back, through their shoulders, they're not going to be able to get into that position without compensating. And we know right. if you're adding in any element of speed, any element of significant weight, and then trying to get in that position repeatedly, it's probably not going to end very well. Right. And the unfortunate part is when we're teaching at a certification, we want to drill in perfection to these students because they're yeah. going to then carry that on to their students. However, if it's a new trainer, you, we, that's how we kind of get into that. Oh, you're a cult or you're dogmatic or you're, it has to just be this way. Right. And it's because we're trying to get you to the safest space for your students. And then you have to kind of look at the bodies, right? And the more, right. the longer you're a trainer, the more you're going to understand different body types. And you can look at people and not necessarily have to screen every single person, depending on your business. But I think the problem is, and I remember one of my trainers, um, she came back from the certification and she was super excited. And I was teaching class and she's like, comes up to me, like right in the middle of everyone. And she's like, why didn't you tell them this? I mean, I saw this and I saw that. And I was like, okay, yes. The goal of the student who does not care about being a trainer is to get them to safe. Get yeah. them to moving well and moving often and safe. We cannot nag the hell out of them to get them to <laughs> perfect right away or they're not going to be our student anyways, right? Yes. That's what I had to teach those new trainers. It's like, yes, we want you to get them to a really, really good place, but that good place for them is safe, not yeah. necessarily perfect like someone who we're wanting to be a trainer. Yeah. And and I think that's something that really resonated with me about the cert in general. I mean, granted, geez, now I think back, it's been like 11 years since I did that. But I mean, you walk out of there and you feel really good about the lifts that you do work on, 
right? Versus like, here's 50 different variations that you can try. It's like, man, I know I'm very confident in my swing, in my clean, in my snatch, in my goblet squat. Like I know all those are really solid because I've done so many reps leading up to that point. I've been coached on that many reps over the three days in the cert. Like you walk out and you feel very proficient that you know those lifts very well. And then from there, hey, if you want to dabble and experiment, that's fine. But at least you have a strong foundation to build from. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I love when I got into this world and I still live by like learning from Pavel and learning how to reverse engineer, looking at a movement and looking at someone's body and finding the most proficient cues and path to get them to moving well or regressing them. That's another thing that I teach all the time um, with people that I coach is do not be afraid to regress to progress, right? It's not just I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I'm climbing, and I'm always going to be better. Sometimes you have to take a step back And sometimes that means we have to let our ego go and be like, okay, today's a day to regress, listen to my body, see what my body needs today, and then progress again. And so I think that's one thing that's really important is learn the foundation, the basic moves, and then learn how to to kind of work around them and get everyone exactly what they need, depending on their age, their fitness level, you know, what they do for a career, what kind of, are you an athlete? Are you, you know, a grandma, grandpa? I mean, it's, it really just depends. I love that. So obviously, with the quarantine lockdown that we're all dealing with right now, body weight is a pretty hot topic. I mean, I can't tell you how many bros and broettes I see on the gram right now flashing their body weight programs and whatever. But I'm interested, like, how did you get into body weight training? Because I feel like kettlebells and body weight are kind of like synonymous or like loosely related. But I'd love to know like your story. Like, how did you get interested in that? Well, you know what? It's it's kind of funny because as a gymnast, obviously, I, I have a really good understanding of right. my body, even though that was as as a child. Um, so I've always been into body weight. I've liked handstands and walking on my hands and those types of things. But it really wasn't until we made um, the switch from the RKC to Strong First. Yep. And um, Pavel reached out to me knowing you know my background and asked me if I wanted to teach the body weight certification. Mm. At that time, it was new, and I was like, what do I need to do? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, a one-arm push-up. And I was like, <laughs> okay, how? Right. And he said, figure it out. Like, that's what it was back then. It was figured out. We hadn't um, created the manual yet. So I just started working on figuring out how to do that for my own body. But I knew as an instructor, if I was teaching a certification that was body weight strength, well, really any strength, but body weight in particular is that I had to know that it was reproducible. I had to know that it wasn't just, Hey, Karen just did this iron maiden is already strong and she can get herself there. Right. I had to take any age, any fitness level and be able to reproduce the same thing. So at that time I um, created that as a goal for, for the most of my gym. Cause I, that's when I owned my gym. And so each day when clients would come in, we would work on progressions. We started at the wall and we made our, made our way down. So at that time, it took me about four months to be able to get from the wall to go to the certification, the first one that he was having. And, um, from there I was one of the females that, that passed at that weekend and then everything kind of progressed from there. So we of course made the manual and started thinking about other progressions. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, part of my background, but it was still a different yeah. type of body weight than what most people I would say think of when they think of body weight. I think a lot of people think burpees and jumping jacks and mountain climbers and right. what can I do to, to get this hit training with my body versus yes. what we do is pure strength. Yes. It's, it's that one rep max that 
the squats and the pull-ups and the, the one arms or one arm, one leg. So it, it's a yeah. very different type of strength training than I think most people are, are used to or familiar with. Yeah, no, I love that. So if someone's listening to this and they want some simple tips to increase the intensity of their bodyweight workouts, right? Because that's the biggest thing. People are like, oh, I can't make it intense enough. I mean, you just described, I mean, a one-arm push-up. If you've never tried it, go try it. You can make your body weight plenty difficult. So right. if, somebody, if somebody is listening and they want to increase the intensity of their body weight sessions, what are some tips or some tricks you might be able to tell them about? Um, the best thing, um, and, and this is what I teach at certification, is progressions, okay. right? You can't just think, like you said, go try one arm and see how it feels, right? right? We don't train to max. So for me to try to get people to do a one-arm push-up or one-arm on, like, on the ground and just keep diving into that over and over and over, something's got to give, right? Something's going to break. Something's going to get injured. So it's all about progressions. And that's where what we would call waving the load comes in. You have to have progressions that change the percentage of your body weight mm. from day to day, right? So I need a progression that's going to make this a light day, a heavy day, a medium day. And from there, then I would change the volume, right? How many reps and sets can I do at that progression to make it fit into that intensity that you're looking for? Because you can't can't go all out all the time and max out, especially when it is a one rep max or it's not even a a one rep yet. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's something to like, I used to always joke around because people would say, oh, it's just body weight. And I would just kind of look at people and be like, I could just crush you with just body weight. You know, if we wanted to, when you talk about either progressing an exercise or slowing down tempos, adding in isometrics, like there's so many cool things that you can do with just your body weight. And especially now, right? Like we're learning how to be creative, how to innovate. So yeah, there's a lot of ways if you want to make this more difficult, you can do it. You just got to be willing to kind of dive in and experiment a little bit more. Absolutely. And you know what? I think one of the the things that really shocks people when they get into pure strength with body weight is how neurologically fatiguing it is. When you're mm-hmm. taking your body to max tension to be able to perform and move as one unit versus kind of this worm or sagging here, sagging right. there, it, there's so much neurological fatigue that I think that's the biggest shock that people get in the beginning when they understand what it is we're doing and how strict our technique is. And But I, I love being able to share that with people and help them start to understand that fatigue and really owning a movement while also listening to their body. Yeah. And know that you might have to change that intensity from day to day to really get the most out of it and fast track it. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, so I've got one more question. It's a little bit off topic, but something you mentioned in our email exchange before the show really piqued my interest. So talk to me a little bit about training women during and around menopause and how things might change during that period of time. You know what? Here's the funny part of this. I would say my following, like if you look at my analytics, I'm about a 50-50 split between male and female because I'm so focused on strength. And back in the day, up until a couple years ago, I was like so many other people that just thought it's calories in, calories out, right? Right. If you are in a deficit, you will lose weight, you will lean. And so I kind of have feel like I need to put out this public apology to all the older females that I used to train before a couple years ago, because I was like, I just thought they were sabotaging themselves. I thought, okay, they're not putting down exactly what they're eating. They're not being truthful with me. Well, then fast forward to three years ago when I found out I was at high risk for cancer and decided to do a preventative hysterectomy, which I thought, no big deal. I'm a trainer. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come right back from this. I'm going to be good. I'm going to regain my strength. I mean, what's six weeks of not lifting? 
right. nothing, right, in the grand scheme of things. Well, yes, I did come back in that first year. But what happened was after that first year, everything changed. Hmm. My body had de- depleted itself of hormones. I didn't know much about hormones or even care. I just thought I can't supplement with hormone um, replacement therapy because of high risk. And I just was really, really blown away when I started realizing that I was still eating clean. I even did a lot of um, different detox type stuff and eliminations to figure out what was causing the problems because I'd started to have so much joint pain, my knees, my elbows, like I could barely get out of bed. Mm. And as a coach, when we have to do these high level things, I mean, that puts on a whole nother level of stress. So then I had the stress, then I had the depression, like everything kept adding up. Right. What caused it was the pressure of this job to be, you know, we feel like we have to look a certain way and be able to do certain things. And even though I was training well and I was eating well, I put on 25 pounds Mm. in a very short amount of time and I didn't understand it. Right. So I started seeing a lot of doctors. The first doctors were like, and and this is like really what crushed me is I had (laughs) this doctor that said, it's age, Mm. getting older, pain is inevitable. You just need to change what you're doing. Oh, sorry. I'm going to call that, I'm going to call BS on that. (laughs) I'm like, I am not going to sit here and just be like, I'm old. I need to be in pain. Right. So more doctors, more x-rays, more tests, more blood work. I finally found a doctor that knew what was going on and willing to really kind of do all the blood work that needed to be done. And she got my hormones right. And Mm. the crazy thing is once it was all figured out, the pounds started dropping. Mm. Like now I'm even working out less. And I'm getting myself back to normal. The pain is there no more. I can stand up, sit down, move around. I'm back to one-arm push-ups. I'm back to everything that I was doing before. Right. And all it was is that my hormones needed to be accurate. Yeah. So that's where I feel like that's kind of the long process to tell you that. But I just feel like if I could get any information out there to other trainers that are newer in this industry, do not look at females that are older and just think they're sabotaging or yeah. that they're being lazy because it's not just calories in calories out once you hit that point where your hormones are different. Yeah. So that's, that's what I've learned. I still have so much to learn about it, to be honest. So I can't really tell everyone where yeah. to go, but what I recommend is have the blood work done, like yep. find a doctor that understands it, that can get you regulated. And then you'll start getting the the strength back that you need and, and getting your body where you want it versus just thinking that, okay, I'm older and I need to live with this pain because it's just what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's great advice. And it's something that that I've tried to trumpet a little bit more here on the show is understanding because, I mean, I know my demographics are like 80-20 men to women. But even if you're a male trainer or a male strength coach, you train women out of right. all ages, shapes, sizes. So it's important for them to hear this stuff and understand that, you know, there's a lot more going on there behind the scenes that we're unaware of. Great stuff. Yeah, and so that's the, my quickest response now when I see that online is, oh, it's just get in a deficit, calories in, calories out. I'm like, right. no, <laughs> there's right. more to it. Like yes. you just have to know that someone's hormones are in, and it can be the same thing with men. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you know that is that if men's hormones off, I mean, it, it can affect them as well. It may affect differently, but it definitely may, it plays a big role. I mean, I cannot even tell you how much better I feel now that everything's is regulated. And I'm kind of nervous because now that we're all stuck at home and all the doctors are closing, if it's not essential, right, they don't think it's essential. So I'm going right. to have to postpone some of those uh, appointments because yeah. they're not going to let me go to them. Uh. Um, so that makes me nervous. But 
at least I know what I have to do to, to kind of be on track. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. Big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Karen Smith one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? It would be to start strength training sooner, mm-hmm. like pure strength training. Right. Like it's so important. And I was like every other female out there that feared the bulk. Oh, yes. I don't want to get bulky. I want to be, you know, skinny. Right. And it wasn't until I really started understanding strength um, when I got into the kettlebell world that it it changed everything. So if I could go back, I could I could give myself a lot of years, a lot of hours, yeah. <laughs> and hours and hours of training just on the you know doing the cardio on the yeah. treadmill and whatever, and have way more of my life back. Yeah, no, I love that, and just great advice as a whole for not only the young women but young men like get on the strength train sooner, do it the right way. There's so much value in it for sure. Okay. Last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So I got four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or as short as you'd like. Okay. Okay. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach or educator, just professionally? Gosh, I would say it had to be being able to teach these certifications. Really, I've learned so much from all of my colleagues and, and being able to train that my highlight would be, that, and the Iron Maiden, because that obviously put me into a different place yeah. in the community and kind of people understanding what it was that I could do and, and teach them. But I would say teaching certifications because I get to, I get to help more people Yeah, and, and get them to where they understand what it is that we do. I love it. Okay. Number two, you're obviously serious about your con ed. So I'm interested. What are you excited about or learning about right now? Well, one would be learning more about the hormone stuff because yeah. I just think that that's so important now that I'm understanding that. But the other thing that I would really like to do and I haven't done yet, I got to find the time once travel's available again, yes. is I've been hearing a lot about FRC mm. and I am interested in that. The unfortunate part is every time I go to look at one, I'm like, oh, I'm teaching somewhere while they're teaching, you know, oh, it yeah. like, hasn't matched up with our schedules. Yep. That's something that I'm interested in just to kind of see a little bit more about what that's about. Yes. Very cool. Okay. Number three, what's it like working with a group of elite U.S. special forces? Intimidating, overwhelming. How does that feel? You know what? It's kind of funny that you asked that because I think, I think it can be to yeah. some people kind of intimidating. And then there's a thought process that I feel like most people use when they get in that setting. If they're intimidated, they feel like they have to beat them down, right? Yeah. Oh, I have to, I have to kick their butt or they're not going to think I'm good at what I do, right? right? But it's actually just the opposite. And for me, obviously, I had already a history of being around that. That's yeah. what my ex-husband was, right? right? So to me, I didn't go in intimidated by it. And I knew that they're a different breed. They know how to kick their own butt, right? right. They don't need us to do that. What they needed from us is to teach them the smart, efficient ways to train so that they were not beating themselves into the ground so that they could still do their job. Because yep. if you go out and have, as we know, people, a lot of people like the, um, the muscle soreness. They're like, oh, if I'm not sore, then I didn't get a good workout. Well, if you put yourself in, especially as a special operator, let's say you're out on deployment and you need to, you know, you're sitting idle time. So you decide to just crush your legs. Well, then you get called on a mission. Like you're putting yourself in a bad situation. So it's more about being able to train them to understand again, the waving of the load, right? The efficiency of training to know that I don't have to crush myself and be so sore that I can't do anything else. Like how do I train smart 
and still be able to do my job and keep my safe and my team or my, my friends safe. I love it. Okay. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Karen Smith? What are you working on? What are you excited about after all this settles down? That is <laughs> <laughs> good question. Um, I'm ready for it to, to settle down and be back to normal. I mean, I love traveling. I love teaching people. I hope to do that as long as I can. Yep. I'm not giving in to just being like, Oh, I'm getting older. Like I'm right. going to keep on. So I would say that's my, my mission right now is just to, to keep always learning and keep advancing. I'm always writing programs. I'm doing more and more online. I have some eBooks. So I'm just really trying to just help as many people as I can, but also, and this is going to kind of help a little bit with that kind of what we're going through now is also find that balance because I dove in so much to teaching and traveling after my divorce that I haven't really had a life. And so I'm yeah. trying to get my myself into a, a better work-life balance. Yeah, I like that. Because when you love what you do, you don't feel like you're working. So then you just keep piling it on. Yes. And then you're in a place like you're like, oh my gosh, like there's this, this is all I do. And it's yeah. normally when someone's like, well, what do you do for fun? Yeah. <laughs> I like... teach and they're like, no, no, no. Like when you're not working, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, that's what I do. <laughs> right. So. Right. I'm sure it. you understand that. I, absolutely. Absolutely. When people are like, oh, what do you do in your free time? Like, what's free time? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I totally get it. Well, Karen, you've been awesome to chat with today. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff you have going on? Um, most every link to any social media or anything that I have going on is via my website. So okay. you can find everything from there. It's just coachkarensmith.com. Okay. But like everyone else, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube. So I have my YouTube. So yes. that's just the quickest way. There are links to everything there. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, articles and things like that. The Strong First website. Okay. Uh, I also have a lot of articles on Girls Gone Strong. I was an advisory board member for them. Okay. And like I said, I write for, for Strong First too. So my website, their website, that's yeah. kind of where I'm at. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I get all the uh, links in the show notes. But again, thank you so much for coming on. This was really great. Thank you. It was an honor. I appreciate it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Karen. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, she's just an absolute wealth of knowledge, whether we're talking about kettlebells, whether we're talking about body weight training. And I can tell you, she's somebody that I'm definitely going to be looking to learn more from in the months and years to come. So I've got a quick favor to ask of you depending on what you're doing right now, how long you've been listening to the show. Number one, if you're not already a subscriber, what are you doing, son? Or if you're a gal, what are you doing, lady? Take 10 seconds out of your day. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We are everywhere on the interwebs. Take five, 10 seconds, subscribe to the show so that you'll know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. Do me a small favor. Go to the iTunes store. It takes one to two minutes out of your day. Give me a rating. Give me a review. These are the easiest and most surefire ways to make sure that the show gets exposure and that we get out there to young trainers, young coaches, because while I'm so happy that you listen, I know the more coaches and the more trainers that we get exposed to the show, the better our industry is going to be as a whole. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. I love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.